What's going on, everybody? Stu Blackwell here with the latest episode of the Warrior Legacy Podcast. I hope all of you had a great weekend. I know I certainly did. So quick highlight here for those of you that that don't know, I coach youth and high school wrestling at a brand new club here in Mississippi. Have been for the better part of the last year now. But because the sport is so new in this state, we're, we're really far behind all the other states. So the gym we have has like no AC, the mats are all used and like many of them wouldn't even be accepted for competition outside of Mississippi. We got holes in the roof and all sorts of maintenance issues. And it, it kind of reminds me of that scene from uh, Rocky three where Carl Weathers takes Sylvester Stallone back to that old school, like bare bones gym to get his spirit back, you know? And, and when we, when they step inside, it's not like pretty, there's not a lot of new shiny equipment or anything like that. It's just a bunch of hungry cats looking to compete and be the best versions of themselves. You know, you can see it in their faces, and that's what I love about it. Uh, I get to see that hunger in every kid that we work with. And if you're following me on Instagram at ST Blackwell or on Facebook, then, you know, you've seen the videos of the practices I've been doing with my kids. And, And let me tell you that every time I do something like that with my boys, I feel far more accomplished as a father than anything else. You know, more than going to work, to provide or more than staying around the house and definitely more than staring at a screen all day. And that's it's because I get to see their competitive nature, that innate pull that we all have as boys and men comes to the surface. And it's just awesome to see them exercise that and to have a blast doing it. You know, it reminds me that, you know, all those excuses that we come up with to not do hard things, especially when we just focus on the day-to-day like mundane tasks like work and keeping up the house and all that, you know, but when we focus instead on seizing the opportunities we have in front of us, instead of how uncomfortable it will be, that return on investment of our time and effort is matched tenfold. So that's a quick recap of what I've been up to. Um, and you know, proud dad moment, but that's not what we're going to focus on for today's episode. What we're doing is building on the last episode where we discussed how the services are presented by Hollywood in government recruiting campaigns. So if you haven't already, give episode 14 a listen to get some context as we continue. Now, this is going to be the first part of a series that, you know, where we're going to take one like military archetype and dissect it. Now, let's be clear. These are what I have seen are the collectively presented visions of the American service member that are universally accepted, okay? And the first and most common one is the robot. You know, that sort of American Terminator, quote unquote, associated with, you know, following orders and regulations to the letter. Now, you may be asking yourself why you should spend your time listening to this, which is perfectly normal. But it goes back to what this podcast is all about, and that is preserving the warrior's legacy. And not just the global war on terror generation, but the idea of being a warrior and the immeasurable impact each has had during and after their time in history. And we can't do that properly if we don't accurately understand how to frame war fighters in their time and who they actually are instead of what you know, all these outside influences want us to think about them. So before we take the robot apart and, you know, start looking at all the rusted nuts and bolts, let's, let's run the ad so that we can get to the good stuff. As we start off today, I want to ask you something. 
Okay, what is the most common aspect of military life depicted in Hollywood and TV shows, you know, movies, recruiting ads, all of that stuff, other than combat? It's boot camp, right? Or recruit training or whatever they're calling it nowadays. Why is that? Well, the logical answer is because it's the first thing that pers- prospective service members undergo after they are accepted by Uncle Sam and they take their oath of enlistment. It makes sense chronologically speaking, okay? And, and, and it sends the message that you have to earn your way into the institution, which conflicts heavily with other more modern and inclusive representations of the services, but we'll get back to that later, okay? What focusing on that initial period also does is convey the value that each branch places on its indoctrination phase. And that's important because the goal is to reconcile people from many different walks of life and you know, with their own very different experiences to a unified organizational code of conduct. Where it stops short is that it doesn't explain and follow how our understanding of military values evolves with time and experience afterwards. Okay, now this is where the robot character is birthed. It's that vision of service members thinking the same way, doing everything the same way, talking, walking, marching, dressing, all of it the exact same way. And the vast majority of footage shown from recruit training is people all dressed in the same uniforms, standing or marching in neat lines and screaming and responding to commands the exact same way. Just like a bunch of robots all being programmed to do exactly what they're told, how they're told to do it, and when they're told to do it. And that's what part of it is, but it's an incomplete picture. You know, it it leaves out the evolution of thought and development that takes place after, okay? Nowadays, nobody goes to war with the exact same mentality that they had coming out of recruit training, okay? So think about everything that happens in between. All right. From my experience, after I graduated from Paris Island, I went to infantry school for two months, then to my actual deployable unit, and we went through a workup or a, you know a training period for over six months before we went overseas. So that's two location changes spanning at least eight months and well over 100 people that I interacted and trained with before we ever even left American soil. Now, my perception of the Marine Corps, the infantry, our country, the world itself, and what all of it meant, all of that was altered more than once before my first deployment. And it was difficult for me to start using my brain on my own again after, you know, having come from the the cookie-cutter environments of Paris Island and SOI. But it was something that my mentors would not give ground on. See, they had just come back from Fallujah. And they knew that, you know, the, that Terminator who relies on explicit direction and doesn't exercise creativity and critical thinking was a liability in the type of war that we were fighting. And here's why. Let's, let's give a little more detail about this rigid mindset and how it affects progression, okay? So everything, and I mean absolutely everything, in that initial phase was dictated to us. I mean, how you handle a rifle, the way you stand at the position of attention, the manner in which you address a Marine of higher rank, how you respond to commands, uh, and you know, even how you request to perform basic human functions, like taking a shit. 
the way you fold and label your uniforms, the manner in which you move from one location to another in groups. Literally every part of bodily function is demonstrated and dictated based on standards to program the mind. That's the main goal of it all. And it was all enforced through countless repetition and painful consequences for failure. And it's not, it's not like nefarious or wrong or, or uncharacteristically brutal. It's just the reality of establishing commonality with very different people. There has to be standards that everyone is held to to reinforce acceptable behavior. Now, one of the reasons why Marine Corps recruit training is so difficult is because it's designed around the reality that our drill instructors have three months to make Marines out of young men who have different programming from you know, school and parenting and society for over 17 years. When you think about it, it's an incredible challenge to counteract habits and thought processes that are so deeply ingrained in people. But, I mean, a, a better product is demanded by the realities of war. And units need a baseline to build on before actually deploying to combat. So, after spending a few months in that type of environment, I went to SOI, or School of Infantry, where things were slightly relaxed, but not so much. Um, the main difference between the two was that SOI focused on introductory combat skills like marksmanship and you know operating radios and other equipment and developing physical and mental toughness. So there was less emphasis on like uniform regulations and marching and ceremonial drill and that kind of thing. Okay, the robot perception from the outside looking in skips over SOI and the unit training, implying that, that, you know, that rigid mentality is what is needed to win in war and, and what is acceptable for the duration of a serviceman's career, you know, whether that's four years or 30. Not good in an environment where our enemy bases his tactics and tactical planning on how he can place us in any type of dilemma, especially a moral dilemma. You know, I mean, they did this by using women and children as human shields and suicide bombers and goading U.S. forces into dropping bombs and artillery in heavily populated areas just so they could videotape it for propaganda purposes. There's no manual for what to do when your patrol is confronted with a child holding a hand grenade or a woman with a suicide vest or what to do when an insurgent opens fire on your team from behind his teenage daughter. It's these types of like murky and, and frankly very fucked up situations where robots either freeze or rush straight ahead, both of which jeopardize the lives of everyone else. And that's their downfall. The automaton looks good in commercials and on posters, but in combat, they're good for very little outside of frontal assault, which has its place, but should always be the last resort. When I got to 2nd Battalion, 6th Marines, which is my first unit, um, our leadership just they refused to allow any of us who were new continue while being dependent on a manual or absent how to exercise initiative, okay? You know, that, that mantra of instant and willing obedience to all orders was drilled into us in recruit training. Now, the unit, however, replaces that with training that fosters creativity 
and the execution of critical tasks without direction. The separate value system that the imagery has, what, which is what actually separates us from everyone else, is what fortifies the environment needed to grow those abilities. And that's what we carried into combat. Those values that I just mentioned are covered in depth in earlier episodes that I highly recommend for you to go back and listen to. Now, I'll be the first to admit that I accepted the mechanical view of our troops as a kid. And it, it was just one of those things, you know, that no one really questioned. It was like, oh, they do things differently in the military and that's just that. You know, if you wanna join, you have to conform to it. And it was commonly accepted among the families and friends that we interacted with outside of our home too. And, you know, cinema reinforces it with these little, like, velvet daggers that it likes to sneak into major motion pictures from time to time. Like, uh, ah, man. Like one of the Transformers movies. I'm trying to remember which one, but there's, uh, there's a scene where a politician walks into, like, the Autobot main base. You know, he's ordering people around. He's all fire and brimstone. He's dictatorial about everything. And until so one of the soldiers offers a suggestion to him, you know, about how to, like, find the bad guys. And the suit looks at him and says, soldier, you're paid to shoot, not think. Now, you can argue that that's a bit of a stretch. I get it, okay? And I'm not saying that a Transformer movie was made by the government to influence our thoughts in this way. So don't, don't take that example to a place that it doesn't need to go to, all right? What I am saying is, based on our discussion of the subconscious mind in the last episode and how that works... If you see and hear things like that consistently over time, it can contribute to making it seem like we are just shooters who lack the ability to reason or think critically. And it can go something like this. And, and this is not me saying that I know how everyone thinks or assuming that I have all the answers to what goes on in everybody's head. Okay, so let's just take a stab at how this process can affect perception here, okay? So you take that little seed that's casually planted by a movie or a TV show, and you go about your life, and it gestates until you see a news feed one day with a story about an F-18 dropping a bomb on an apartment complex overseas. Now, the headline reads something like, uh, like, Marines or soldiers level homes in Iraq or Afghanistan. And the initial thought of, like, a normal, sane person is like, what are these guys thinking? Like, don't they know that people live there? And then that seed blossoms into the subconscious response that says, well, robots don't think, they just do. Now that response, even in this like hypothetical, couldn't be more wrong, okay? Because we don't get to just drop bombs on anything. There are clearance procedures that have to be adhered to even in the middle of combat. And those procedures have cost our troops their lives before. A prime example of that scenario, you know, the one in which service members have been killed waiting for the support they need, is the story of Medal of Honor winner Dakota Meyer. Okay, so if you don't know it, look it up or, uh, or watch the podcast episode that he did with Jocko Willick. It's outstanding, heartbreaking, but also very enlightening, okay? Now let's move forward into an experience that I had after my service where I was confronted with this, Okay. In late 2020, I was contracting in Kabul, the capital of Afghanistan, and I was looking for a job that would, you know, keep me back home. I got tired of watching my kids grow up through a screen. So I got in touch with the owners of a restaurant chain, and in the introductory interview, um, 
the owner was very adamant about the fact that they loved military people because managing one of their locations required very little free thought. <clears throat> Excuse me. It was all laid out in a system. And, you know, you didn't really have to do much other than, you know, put that system in place and just, just follow it to the T, you know. Um, and after I accepted that job, I got frustrated because it was so restrictive. It was so systematic and there wasn't a lot of room for creativity, you know. So <laughs> I should have listened to the guy. I really should have. All right. Now, there were other certainly other factors in play, um, you know, on the personal side, but I look back on that first conversation I had with the interviewer and it became very evident to me that some people actually do see us that way. And it was reinforced with multiple experiences I've had with other employers who had similar expectations. So it's a pattern that I've seen in at least three different industries since I separated from active duty. Okay. Now this last point I'll mention just briefly because... I'm not a doctor, okay? But if we as a society are in fact serious about understanding PTSD with combat veterans, consider what we've just discussed. And then ask yourself if the robot mentality helps us understand the root causes of that. I mean, if we're just machines, then you know why do some service members have PTSD? It's because we're not. It's that simple. Okay, the... the mechanical dependent mentality, it serves its purpose in the initial indoctrination phase for most people, but after that, it has no further use. And it's nearly always trained out of us because it can and has gotten the wrong people killed. So if we want to truly understand the warrior, okay, and the wars themselves and their, their effect on the participants and on the societies that surround these events, then we can't chain the robot moniker to our service members. It's also not going to do any good to the men and women that join in the future if that's what they expect when they sign up, because it's not reality. So what's the fix? Well, it's funny you should ask, because the first part of it's taking place right now, and that is us, as a society, communicating honestly and openly about these things, even if we don't agree on some of it. Okay, that's okay. All right, the chances are that some people are going to hear this and not agree with it because they just had different experiences or they've never seen the services that way. It doesn't mean that one takes precedence over the other, but getting it out there paves the way for cooperative solutions. Okay? And the second part is demanding of our officials that our military personnel are highly trained and that that takes precedence over the next shiny new jet or high-tech gadgets. Tech is great, okay? But at the end of the day, what every war in history has come down to is the men on the ground and the culture that they've trained in that enables them to break the will of their competition through overwhelming violence. It's a timeless element of the nature of war that no technology will ever replace. And if you're one of those people that hasn't ever been confronted with the military Terminator I talked about today, that's okay. All right, because in the next episode, we're on to a new representation and one that's going to rub some people the wrong way. So there's at least two more to come. And if you think there's something that I missed, hit me up on the socials and let me know about it. Follow me on Instagram at stblackwell or on Facebook. Okay, you could also email me at sblackwell0412 
at gmail.com or, or you can comment on the episode, leave a star rating and a review so the whole world can see what you think. Even if you want to burn me at the stake, that's cool too. All right. But thanks for listening, everybody. Come back next time. Tell your friends about it and have an awesome week. All right. Get savage and stay savage.